0: Hello, welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment's brought to you by Core Green Technologies. Do you know you can kill 99% of airborne COVID-19 in only 10 minutes? Check it out. Visit core.green. Well, today we're talking about the multifamily market. You know, the apartment industry has really been incredibly resilient for gosh a decade now and um, you know but with COVID going on obviously it's going to be a mixed bag depending on the type of community and where it's located how things are going well we have an expert guest today please welcome Carl Whitaker he's senior manager of market analytics with RealPage. Carl thanks for joining us again sir.
1: Thanks Michael always a pleasure and looking forward to a good 2021 here. Yeah, hopefully uh, 2021 is
0: much better <laughs> than last year, right? Well, Carl, you know, as I mentioned in the opening, it seems like uh, really depends on the community and, and the type and, and the location of how things are going. But first of all, just kind of overall, when you look
1: at the market, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, and it's funny you touch on that because it's it really does come back in real estate time and time again to location, location, location. And we're definitely seeing your location hugely impact your performance levels. And we talk about that here in a little bit, but just broadly speaking, um, you know, I think you framed it up there very well that the overall takeaway is that the apartment market has been kind of a safe haven for investors over the past decade. And we're seeing that play out in the early uh, post-pandemic period, if you will, because rent growth levels are holding relatively well, considering the economic backdrop, of course. Occupancy rates are still really solid at plus 95% or 95% plus, I should say. So really the overall um, summary on the the apartment market right now is that things are holding on pretty well, considering that economic backdrop.
0: Yeah, and Carl, does that surprise you with, uh, you know, the conflicts of of bringing people in these communities to to see them and employees with COVID going on and then with with collection uh, issues that could be caused by eviction moratoriums?
1: Yeah, I think the initial thought that I had was that I was surprised. I wasn't surprised that the industry held up very well in the post-pandemic period, but I think I was a little surprised in how well it held up. And, you know, granted, you look at the the demographic tailwinds that are fueling the industry, you know we just came off a period of ten years of sustained economic growth, so that was obviously fueling a lot of demand so I wasn't necessarily surprised to see the industry do well, but it has been more resilient than I initially thought, and you know we actually saw fourth quarter demand was its best rate in the past ten years, and again that's coming through through a period of, unsus- or, uh, of un- unprecedented economic growth. So we've been really pleased with how leasing patterns have held up. It doesn't mean that there haven't been some individual properties that have had to make some pretty big shifts, but we've seen management companies and ownership groups really um, rack the ship in the post-pandemic period really well, and things are looking pretty good in terms of performance levels.
0: What are some examples, Carl, of... um some properties that are kind of really suffering right now, either geographically or by property type?
1: What we're really seeing is properties in the urban cores are tending to have the most difficult, um, you know, the past nine months or so, those urban cores are really struggling. And you can say the same in the gateway markets, which, you know, really are very urban in their very nature. You know, the New York's of the world, Boston, LA, et cetera. Um, And then by nature of the urban core struggling, we're seeing some high rise um, properties and a little bit more distress, but really, you know, that's just the, the painting with a broad brush, you know, there may be individual properties that have seen some challenges, but that luxury product class, you know, your ultra luxury class A assets, probably seeing the most challenges, your bread and butter class B apartments, probably holding on the best. Those class C workforce housing assets is kind of that unknown right now, because we're still seeing the economic sectors in which those renters typically work in are still seeing the most challenges getting back on even footing. However, you're seeing, you know, still relatively decent performance among those more affordable um, property types. And that's simply just because the alternative of those living arrangements, which is single family housing is you know still out of reach for uh, many folks and single-family housing really hasn't cooled off over the past few months we've seen the single-family industry hold on relatively well too
0: yeah and carl you mentioned some of the gateway markets in larger cities um, the communities are having a little bit tougher time there and do you see that differ as well related to cities that are uh, transit oriented versus cities who aren't as transit oriented, like you know, for example, I live um, in Atlanta where my headquarters is, and we're really car oriented, and and we have transit, but it's not used as much as major cities, right? And that's always kind of looked people have looked at that as a negative thing uh, at Atlanta, uh, but but now it's like all right, well, I've been going to my office for a long time, you know, we have uh, we use our cars and we drive around. Have you seen any difference in performance related to that?
1: yeah, it's hard to say whether that's a um, true cause of some underperformance in some areas or maybe perhaps it's more so a symptom of underperformance. And I think what that would indicate is that, and you know, very similar being based here in Dallas, we're very car oriented. Sure, we have public transit, but it's definitely not to the the level of usage that it is in other similarly sized cities. But I think what we're seeing in some of those transit oriented development areas, you know, I'll pick on, Um, Buckhead, which I believe MARTA has a few stations that runs through there in Atlanta. Is that correct? So the, the Buckhead area, um, you know, you just had really a 10 year period where there was a lot of development concentrating in those areas. And it's, it's less so that it's the density in those areas that's causing underperformance and more so just the simple fact that you had a lot of supply built over the past few years. So demand is still catching back up to what was built over that period.
0: Right. Well, I guess you know in Dallas, right? For people in uh, New York and other cities, um, you have uh, steer horns, right? Bull horns on your <laughs> hood and you drive around, drive around, right? <laughs> in Atlanta, we have we have uh, uh, X's on our roof, and we drive on dirt roads too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, we have Bo and Luke Duke over here, right, drive uh, around Atlanta. Yeah, I think it was the 1996 Olympics where people around the world realized that we actually have paved roads in Atlanta, <laughs> yeah.
1: at least in parts of it.
0: <laughs> That's right. How about migration? Uh, you know, are there some impacts to the apartment community? You know, based on some of these states that are kind of losing population.
1: Definitely, we're seeing that as arguably one of the top three drivers of performance in some areas. And interestingly enough, we're even seeing it within specific states that are seeing a lot of out-migration. And I wanna pick on California here, where many of the markets that are adjacent to LA, so let's say Riverside, for instance, or the Inland Empire, or if you move up to uh, Northern California and look at San Francisco relative to Sacramento, you're actually seeing those Sacramento's inland empires, those types of markets are excelling right now. And that's because they're so close to LA and San Francisco, they're still close enough, but you know, you get a huge savings by choosing to live a little bit outside of LA and San Fran. Now, if you go out of state, you'll see that same trend where basically the first series of major markets outside of California, look at Las Vegas, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, those markets are doing really well too. And I think it's simply because you're getting a lot of demand being captured by the exodus out of those gateway areas. And uh, RealPage recently published a blog in which it looked at markets adjacent to gateway areas. So looked at Baltimore performance relative to DC, looked at um, you know some of the smaller New England markets relative to Boston, and amazingly, every instance of one of those adjacent markets was outperforming its larger neighbor by a huge margin i mean it wasn't a matter of a few basis points it was revenue difference of you know anywhere from 5 to 10% difference so i think migration is fueling a lot of that and you know that really points back to just some of the changes we've seen in the economy where people can work from home now and if you're not having to go into the office you can choose to live in a more affordable metro particularly in some of these metros where the quality of living or the quality of life that made those markets so expensive to begin with just simply hasn't returned. You know, New York, San Francisco, L.A. being really the key examples of that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you know, you guys at RealPage have a really a keen ability to kind of look, kind of dissect a market and really look kind of closer at trends with your revenue management systems and everything else. Are you, what do you see in relation to size of units? Um, are the smaller units or the larger units kind of um, uh, doing better now? Are people kind of moving up to larger units? Do you see anything there?
1: Yeah, that was something that we've, we've started digging into late last year. Um, and really our takeaway was that there's, it, it's not that there's enough noise in the data that it's hard to discern. It's just depending on the market you look at, you might find that trend but in other instances, you might not. So at the national level, it kind of washes out. But anecdotally, or at least from a more anecdotal perspective, what I have heard is that in many of those gateway adjacent markets in particular, you are seeing two bedrooms start to outperform uh, by a pretty big margin relative to one bedrooms. And that's simply because, or at least in my view, uh, you know, you want some level of separation from work and and your home life and one of the ways to achieve that is by having a separate bedroom dedicated to an office or some some home office or some sort of quiet space there so i think we're seeing two bedrooms do a little bit better in some instances uh, again kind of a more anecdotal perspective but i have heard of micro units actually doing a little bit better in some instances in san francisco and dc in particular And it's a little counterintuitive because you would think you would want more space if you're working from home. But I think what might be happening there is folks who are looking to still live in the urban core but want to save a little bit of money are able to do that by moving down into a a unit that's, say, 100 square foot smaller. Now, obviously, they're sacrificing some square footage, but they still get a discount to live in the urban core. Um, you know, and again, that's, that's very place centric, but I've seen that trend in New York, DC and San Francisco in particular.
0: And in the past, we've seen that benefit kind of B properties and even down to C, are you seeing that?
1: Definitely. Yeah. That's, that's been the, arguably the biggest takeaway we've seen in the past few months is that class B seems to be capturing a lot of. Affordability demand, or a, put it another way, a flat to affordability. So, Class B is pretty well insulated against some of those A properties. And also, the B assets are just located in areas that are seeing a lot of demand. You know, you're seeing residents maybe move out of the urban core into those inner ring suburbs where you just had a lot of product that was built in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And by nature of that location, they're um, just seeing relatively good performance. So I do think class B is at least thus far, the product top winner that we've seen over the past year.
0: Yeah, and I guess that rose along with kind of high rise uh, versus garden as well, right?
1: It definitely, definitely, and even more pronounced in those two, those two asset types. Right,
0: I'd certainly feel more comfortable in the garden community myself, rather than in a high rise, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you see some of these you know, cities with lockdowns you know, seem to have more issues uh, with COVID than, than states and cities that aren't as locked down. I wonder you know, if some of that uh, is, is from that situation. Well, what do you think about forecasts moving forward uh, you know, into 2021 and,
1: and beyond? And beyond. Yeah, so this, this is probably my favorite time of year every year when we update our one-year outlook, and, and we do update five years out, so I can talk a little bit to that. but um in our most recent round of reforecasts what we did is we looked and said okay how is our 2020 forecast because obviously there was a lot of unknowns yeah. when we kicked things off and interestingly enough in our first round of post covid forecast revisions we said that rent growth would be negative 1.7% or so at the national level it came in at negative 1.4 so we felt really good about the accuracy of that um, the the shift of markets we felt like we did a pretty good job of that so really looking at 2021 I think what we're our our house view if you will is that the first half of the year will continue to be fairly weak you are starting to see demand return particularly in some spots where we thought demand was going to have a little bit of a hangover like Los Angeles. So our 2020 outlook is that rent growth does return positive by the end of the year. It's still weak by fourth quarter, but at least you're seeing some positive growth. Uh, occupancy remains steady at 90, 95 and a half percent or so. If there is one additional challenge in 2020, it's that... Or our, Or I'm sorry, for 2021. Thank you. Yeah. still getting used to that. Yeah. Um, if there is one additional challenge this year, it's that the um supply pipeline still hasn't had a chance to shut off in the post-covid period and we're forecasting about 405,000 units delivering which is about a 50k increase from last year so that might put additional pressure particularly in some class a units this year so that's going to be something we watch for now as we move forward into 2022 2023 i think we think things start to stabilize at more normal levels if there is one thing we think is going to shift that's a 2022 2023 trend i think it's that some of those gateway markets may still be underperforming partially because of the unknown economic climate in those areas you know do you actually have further out migration so largely speaking our takeaway is that 2021 sunbelt markets we really like those areas uh, a few instances like Dallas, where you have just continual supply, maybe a little bit weaker there than, say, in Atlanta, where you've actually got supply pulling back for the first time and it seems like forever. Um, we like those areas, the gateway markets we think are still going to struggle. And then you could break that even down to a micro level where we like the suburbs, urban cores, maybe some individual areas with opportunity but things are going to need to stabilize before we change much of our outlook in those, those regions.
0: Okay. Well, interesting. A um, lot of opportunity then, uh, it looks like, in, in lots of communities uh, around the country. Well, what are you seeing for um, capital markets for cap rates and, and
1: velocity of sales? So cap rates and velocity of sales. I think last time we talked about this too. It's, there's still this interesting disconnect where cap rates are still compressing. We're looking at cap rates at the U.S. of about 5.1, maybe a little bit over 5%, and that's down about 20-30 basis points year over year. So cap rates are still compressing, but when you look at the dollar volume and the overall transaction activity, that's down about 45% over the past year. You know, this is the first time and who knows how long? Where fewer than 100 billion dollars worth of properties traded over a 12-month period? I mean, that's the first time we've been below 12 digits. And again, who knows how long? Uh, 40 45 percent drop off in the number of properties traded. So, you know, you would think that that would lead to cap rates decompressing, but again, we're still seeing cap rates remain pretty tight. But I think really that just suggests that. You know, investors still lack the space. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of demand out here. In any recession, you're going to see some level of funding dry up. But overall, if you compare apartments to other product types, office, retail, uh, less so industrial, but particularly office and retail, um, you know, the the investment outlook still looks pretty good.
0: Yeah. Um, when some of that, too, with well, the drop off in volume could be the seller's just more reluctant to Put properties on the market. And we're working on a couple of class A projects right now. And the sellers are saying, hey, if you look at my trailing 12 and base the whole world on that, you know, don't, don't bother. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, I think that may be just kind of a lack of product. And if there's a lack of product, then there's still demand. Maybe that could be something that's helping compress those cap rates. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, Carl, what would you leave our audience with to think about for for multifamily um, as we move into 2021?
1: Yeah, I think I'd say that, you know, we again, we look at 2021 and similar in many ways to 2020, there's going to be a set of unique challenges that come up that probably weren't the case in 2020. But overall, I think the industry is in really good shape considering. Um, I think it'll be interesting as we move forward to see from a development perspective, do single family homes start to recapture more of the overall demand of developers similar to what we saw from 2000 to 2010? Now, I definitely don't think single family building gets to that level, but do you see a shift away from multifamily into more single family development? And if so, then that that certainly boosts the multifamily outlook in terms of performance levels years. Let's call it five through 10 of our forecast.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, well said and great information as usual, Carl. Thanks for joining us, sir.
1: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Michael.
0: Thank you. And if you like more information from Carl Whitaker uh, with RealPage, check them out, realpage.com and stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more.
1: Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow.
0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel forecasts and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or give me a call directly. Well, today we're talking about student housing and 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 co-living. It's kind of interesting because Student housing has been a, a great sector um, for many years and a, and a growing sector. And, um, but how has COVID impacted student housing? You know, what's the future of student housing? You know, a lot of uh, students are, are still kind of uh, working or going to school uh, at home virtually and some of them are in some of the schools, so we'll figure out, figure out what's happening there. Also, um, talk a little bit about co-living, which is very interesting. Uh, please welcome our guest. It's Rick Jones. And Rick is president of Caliber Living. It's a Mallory and Evans company. Rick, good to see you. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Rick, first of all, uh, tell us, you, you have a, a, a lot of student housing properties. You, you've been in the industry a long time. Uh, I'm sure the, this COVID thing's been, been rough on you guys as it has on most people in most industries and sectors. You know What, what has it been like for you?
2: Oh, it's been, I'm so glad when we can finally get to the point where we don't ever have to talk about COVID, but it's been a, it's been an interesting year for sure. We've seen um, some assets that have performed actually better because of COVID and then others that are um, really struggling because of COVID. And, and it really goes from market to market, school to school as to the impact and, and the school's response to um, what's going on with it. But it's been um, interesting. We've had to focus on things that we never thought we would have to focus on before. Um, you know, things like cleaning, which were, was always important, but never as critical as it is now to go out and make sure that we're taking care of cleaning the offices and our, our common area spaces and taking care of those and that being a top amenity. Um, but it's been an f- interesting ride and it's something I hope we don't have to face in the future.
0: Yeah. And what do you expect for the future? And, and you, what do you expect personally out of the student housing performance? And then what is kind of the sector or the industry uh, expecting? I
2: think part of it depends on how well the economy recovers from this. And the reason I say that is because student housing has traditionally been a pretty um, – uh, it's been contrarian to how the economy goes. so so lately with the economy ha- had been surged, we've seen enrollments that have uh, stagnated or started to go down, and we attribute part of that to the economy, some of it's because of the, the demographics of them. but if the economy doesn't improve um, quickly, then I think we'll see more and more kids that aren't able to find jobs, so they're going to they're going to um, stay in school and they're going to, or they're going to look to school. And if they hadn't before, they just had gone into the job market, but there's a real potential for enrollment to grow as a result of the bad economy coming out of COVID. And so while we're not looking forward to that, that just is one of the things that we're having to, to game plan for in the future. That may be a, a side effect of this that is uh, maybe a Something to look forward to, if we can say that with uh, something with COVID. But if it doesn't, if the economy um, is, uh, is stays resilient, then I think that we'll see what we saw before COVID. We'll kind of go back to it. But it also depends on how the schools um, are going to respond in the future. I think a lot of them are going to be afraid to continue to have these live on requirements in the traditional dorms that they've had. We've seen like. Um, one of the schools that we're at um, in uh, North Carolina, they've already announced for the next school year, 2021-22, uh, that they're not going to enforce their on-campus living requirement, mm-hmm. which then frees it, – it really is a um, good for the off-campus housing providers. Um, so – I think it's a mixed bag, depending on how the administration wants to treat it. Um, We've been able to cooperate with a lot of our universities and help them with um, space planning to accommodate their students when they were spreading out a little bit. And um, so that's been helpful. But in other markets, um, we've seen where the students are able to more easily commute to school. And so if the schools... um, Closed down or um only having uh, in-person classes once a week, then they can more easily live at home, which then has them commuting to campus, and so there's not as much of a need for them to live close to school. So i you know, it it's I really what I envision happening in the future is that the schools are going to be more um, careful about the live-on requirement and how they are how densely they're going to populate their um, housing on campus. They can't get rid of the on-campus um, housing, but I think that they're going to adapt the use of it differently, which then should bode well for the off-campus housing providers like us.
0: Yeah, uh, that certainly makes sense. And uh, it also makes sense that, um, that the economy won't rebound immediately. Um, and so to, to your point earlier that there may be, uh, more unemployment, and when there's uh, stronger unemployment, a lot of people do say, "Well, it's a good time to to be in school." Um, so, you know, it seems like uh, the health and safety aspects of of all these properties has uh, been tough for everybody. Um, but you know, you look at office, you look at regular apartments, um, and then you look at student housing. I mean, how do you keep students <laughs> from uh, I'm getting together and partying. I mean, how the heck did you, did you do that or could you? Bro?
2: Well, somebody has got to be the uh, the mom and dad and in the in the grown up in the room. It seems like because we've early on, we went ahead and we closed down amenity spaces and then you come back at night and they're in the pool. You know, and the pool is locked down, but they're in the pool. And it's like, guys, get out of the pool where the, the space is closed down. Um, and we don't have the um, fitness areas open for a good reason we don't have the same kind of activities that we were having before with um, uh, you know taco tuesdays and all these other things Where we, was at, we, we had these great events that we would plan um, and all of that came to a screeching halt and I think people were pretty patient with it at first and they understood it and then as the economy um, kept no, not the economy, but as the as as you got more used to it, then they started trying to um, find different ways to uh, engage. And so we're never going to keep them from being able to um, have the type of fun that they want. And that's one of the lures of living off campus. But we do make, what we try to do is to program and, and to make sure that the events that we have, and um, really anticipate what they're doing and where they're going to be. We are limiting the number of people who are in our clubhouses so that we can clean it and make sure that it's cleaned appropriately in between uses and that um, they can still engage with the fitness and some of the other things, the the swimming pool and um, the clubhouse spaces. But we've got to do a better – we've been doing cleaning schedules three times a a day with – um spraying and wiping down surfaces and all of that and 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 really trying to make it it's as good as a place that as it can be with with regards to that and yeah. you know some of them have the attitude I'm just going to get covid and get it over with <laughs> and and we've got a workforce that is also you know student aged and so it's hard to to keep them from engaging after hours um and so we just have to we we continually adapt and we learn from this whole process and i think that's part of the big message of COVID overall for all of us is the adaptability and it's really remarkable how and these many industries how they've continued to adapt and find new ways and there's things that I think will no never go back to the way it used to be. Um, it reminds me a lot of when we came out of 2008, you know, 2009, 10, with the when the economy was down, and you before you, when you're in the airlines you could um, you'd fly to L.A. and you'd have a great meal on the way over. Well, they stopped doing that, and you know, and then it it just went away altogether. Even though the airlines were making money again, they they really it's, it's taken them a long time to want to get back to serving food and some of the other things because they didn't have to do that. And I think there's going to be some things in our industry and particularly in student housing and multifamily and particularly that we don't have to go back to the way it used to be. And we learned to adapt and it's, we find that it's a, a great way of doing business going forward.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get off of COVID because, heck, you know, the vaccine's here. <laughs> we'll, we'll get that out and everybody's going to be great and excited doing the Snoopy dance here soon. But uh, so let's go to something else. You know, one of the things that uh, is interesting about our economy is the shared economy, right? We're, we're sharing cars and we're sharing scooters and uh, uh, we're sh- and uh, a lot of people are getting used to that. Um, and one of the things with student housing is, is really shared apartments, right, Ringing about by the room. And um, and one of the I want to hear about your your new project. You guys have a co living uh, project. Uh, it's an historic bakery in Knoxville that's an adaptive reuse. It sounds like an awesome uh, project. But but briefly, uh, first of all, tell our audience kind of what what co living is.
2: Yeah, co living for us has been it's 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 taking um, and leasing by the bed for. Um, Um, adults that are looking for um, a shared common area experience where they're able to share their kitchens and they're they're sharing their living areas but they have their own private um, suite area, so their own bedroom and their bathroom that they can lock off and then they can have uh, to their themselves they have their own lease and so the liability is not shared with the roommate um, so that if the roommate quits paying the rent, loses their job or whatever, that they're not, that the roommate is not liable for that their roommate's portion of the rent. They're only liable for their own, uh, what they control. And that's their uh, space. And so what we've done is the things that we've learned in student housing, we've been able to take it and say, well, what's next? What's next for student housing? What's next for these students who've been living in student housing? I think a lot of, the things that I've learned in student housing um, is these guys are early adapters to what's coming forward in uh, multifamily, and so they are—they don't mind sharing their space. When we can help them with the roommate matching, they may be able to find their own roommate. But we—they bring—they—they they come and they lease their room. They may have a like in our project in Knoxville where it's a two-bedroom, two-bath um, project where are they leasing their bedroom? They're, they're going to share it with um, the, the kitchen and the living room area with their friends. But we also have these great um, um, common area spaces so that we engage people to be able to come down to the the, um, the clubhouse and they can work from the clubhouse in a co-working type of environment where there's plenty of space for them just to sit. And it's really been interesting, especially during COVID where I've seen it happening, but We, in our our project that we did in Carrollton, we developed these pods that are in the office and it's a pod, we call it a study pod, but they were, there's room for one person to come in and sit. They got a a built-in desk and a a nice nice TV over that. And they can just come in and be in the office, but they're by themselves. So they're together alone in this space and they just like to be there to be a part of something, but they're by themselves. They can think and they can work on their own, but they're around other people. And so the, it seems to be what, that, what they're comfortable with. And that's what we've got, these um, spaces where they can come in and work on their own, or they can um, have conferences and with the conference room, or they can go out by the pool. And so we've got super high-speed internet that's really important throughout the whole property, not only in the units, but throughout the clubhouse and the, and the common areas. We've got great workout facilities. We've got areas for them to, um, to congregate. And just the, the real aspect of co-living, that's just the, the most fun part is the communal nature of co-living. If you want to be a hermit, this isn't your, the type of housing that you want. Right. If you want to be engaged with the community, if you want to get to know neighbors, if you want to get to know um, the people in your community, this is a great place to be. And to, especially for someone coming in from out of town, Uh, Maybe it's their, their first job out of college and they want to come in to um, a place like Knoxville, Tennessee, and and they don't know where to go. They don't know who to roommate with. They come to um, Flagship Kearns and then they've got an opportunity to, to, to be there. We can help them find a a new friend. We can help them engage them in some social activities that are going on. And, um, and it's, it's a it's a fun environment for them to be a part of, especially um, that I, it's a new and it's something that's going to continue to evolve, I think. As What's to what the name COVID of the co Um, It's Flagship Kearns. It's in South Knoxville. It's right off of Chapman Highway right over the river. So you got great views of downtown Knoxville and Neyland Stadium. It's right outside of the University of Tennessee there in Knoxville. So it's a, it's a great location. A couple um, questions, about how yeah. it
0: works. So, are you furnishing some of these uh, units?
2: Yeah, we furnish them. And as so they've come, they've got um, the beds and, and they've got um, like the living areas, they've got couches and the TVs and the armchairs and sofa, sofa tables. You got bar stools and uh, you, you got the majority of what you need. You might want to augment it with some uh, personal pieces if you want. Um, um, but uh, you can come in and and customize it even and um, with what you need. The other thing that I think about with co-living that is, I think, unique, the way that we define co-living is it's a lot of flexibility in it. Because when you go to a normal apartment, they want to lock you into a 12-month lease or more. And if you don't get a 12-month lease, you can can do six-month leases and, and whatever. But it's usually 12 months or more is what they want to lock you in. And we want people to come in, we're going to be flexible in it and I think that's one of the things that that lesson we're trying to take from Airbnbs of the world where they want the flexibility. These guys, our demographic that we're tracking right now, they really like the flexibility of being able to make the cost. So if, if, if their job changes, they don't have to worry about getting out and terminating their lease early oh, and figuring yeah. out how to do that.
0: So is the lease month a month, the rental agreement?
2: It can be month to month if you want it to be month to month. If you want it to be a year, you can sign a, a year lease. We've got a lot of nurses and and um, that we're attracting right now who come in for uh, sixty day contracts originally, and so they can sign a sixty day contract. But if they extend the contract, we're welcome. We welcome to stay longer. But the idea is, if you're locked into a twelve month lease. How is a customer service? You know, because you then I, you know that the typical cycle is 120 days before your lease expires, then they're really going to start rolling out the red carpet to keep <laughs> you. What is it, if it? It may be different if at any time you could leave because you're not happy being there. Yeah, then well, there's like real it. customer service that really has to take place.
0: Well, I like it. And especially uh, what if I'm a tenant and I rent a room and then I don't like my roommate or what if you would call them uh so if i don't like my roommate i could probably just call you and say hey give me a different room
2: that's exactly what happens in student housing right now is they um, will come in and they may have moved in with their best friend from from elementary school and then after living with them for the first two weeks they decide you know what i don't really like this person i want my own i want to move i want to relocate we will be more than happy to help them relocate to a different place. we bring them into a different living environment and, you know, a different room, different roommate and help them out. But that's the, that's part of the beauty of that. You're not stuck. And so you're able to have the flexibility. And we really think that people that appeals to a lot of people to be able to have the, the lease on their own firms.
0: So you have some extra expenses, your furnishing uh, units You have a little bit of a matching. You could have a little bit more uh, turnover and replacement of furniture, but, but you're getting quite a bit more rent, right? Then you would have. Yeah, to- we got, we're still yeah.
2: renting it by the bed. We get a higher rent per square foot than we would if it was a traditional multifamily deal. And so it, it allows us to build it maybe in some markets where, or some locations that wouldn't historically work for multifamily. So we're able to um, squeeze a little bit more out of it. But, you know, it, we do take care, it, it, even though we are getting more, it's we're able to pass some of those thing, the advantages on to the tenant as well because they're able to come in and they're now not having to go down to the water company and get the water hooked up or the electric company and get their electric hooked up and the, to the cable company to get the cable and then to the and their internet. It's all a one-stop shop. We've got all that on. Nice. You just pay us for what you're using in that regard, and then it's there. And so we've already negotiated those. You can't find an internet for you know fifteen dollars a month on your on your own, but we've already got that pre-negotiated and wired, and and it's there. And so we're able to find some efficiencies for them, and um, it's it's a nice cost savings generally for somebody if they were out to go out and get their own one or two-bedroom apartment, they're going to see at least a 30% savings as they come into some of these co-living um, uh, projects like ours.
0: And what would you estimate the difference um, in your uh, annual net operating income from operating a property like this as compared to just operating it as normal apartments? Is it a 25% increase in NOI? What, what is it? Is the, is the uh, juice worth the squeeze here?
2: I think it is because you're, we're going to spend more time marketing. Okay. And that's the real uptick for us is the marketing cost for it too, because we're, we're having to attract people on a more frequent basis. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of that's done uh, digitally anyway. And so it's, yeah. You know, it, it's marginal at that point, but the juice is worth the squeeze at this point. So, I, when we're looking at that, to say that we've got a, probably twenty percent more NOI, I think is is really um, uh, realistic in that.
0: Okay, well, that is uh, that's a good uh, amount of juice there. I like it, and it sounds like it also mm-hmm. worked well for tenants to come in that they're looking for corporate uh, companies looking for a corporate apartment as well. They they got a, kind of a a, a flexible lease, and all they do is go to, go to you and sign up. Right, they don't have to do anything else.
2: That's right. Yeah, a lot of markets we're working with is the, as these companies, so that they can help to as they like. If, for instance, Regal Cinemas right behind our project in Knoxville. While Regal's not, um, um, the theaters aren't open. They still doing business at the corporate, um, their North American headquarters there. So we were working with these corporations to help them with housing some of their people, and and um, we're also working. Uh, we've got a you know a, a, a small number that we're experimenting with uh, with Airbnb and and um, short term housing providers to do less than thirty day housing options there, and so we're experimenting with that so that we can um, facilitate the same. If the if the business that we're working with they have somebody that's coming in for a week, okay, cool. We can accommodate you in that in that venue, and if somebody's coming in, they're coming for a football game or whatever. um, A lot of the markets where we've operated, they have limited hotels already, and so it allows us to um, dip our toe in the water of the short-term housing providers as well and see how that comes out.
0: Yeah, and you know, you you've done student housing and very experienced in it, so this kind of mixing of of roommates, if we could call them that. Uh, is something you guys are used to to dealing with, but for a regular apartment owner who's not used to that and is concerned potentially about the liability of matching two people who don't know each other and something haven't there being a problem there, is there another kind of level of insurance that you need or do you just have a tenants kind of waive that that issue?
2: um yeah, i, I- the insurance part of it we don't have we everyone is required to have insurance and we've got insurance that we can provide or they can bring their own you know um, state insurance. farm all state whatever but each one of our people are insured and of course everybody goes through a housing back, a, a background check to make sure that they're you know screened for criminal um, and and they qualify credit wise as well but um, as far as the other liabilities uh, what, part of what we're and, you know, is doing is working with group that of uh, people that are um, going to work these things out. We do a lot of conflict resolution that um, with helping people um, get to know or work through, you stole my, you stole my milk, you know, or, or whatever. Let's, let's, let's walk through that. Um, and here's five bucks to cover the milk and let, can, let's get through this and, you know, and, and appeal to their, um, People's higher instincts, and 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 I and it generally, it, it's worked very well in student housing, and um, I know that this is adaptable to um, uh, to this core of, of group of people as well. And so we're we're excited to have it. We opened up um, this project for people to start moving in. They start moving in on Saturday, and um, um, we're excited to, to welcome more people in the near future on that. What's the
0: website for that project?
2: Yeah, it's it's, uh, FlagshipKerns.com, and that's Um, K-E-R-N-S.com. The Kerns Bakery is a historic bakery there in Knoxville that had sat, the, the bakery had sat vacant for a long time, and we were able to by the bakery. And so this project sits up above the bakery and we're going to be, as soon as we get out of this COVID, we're going to be opening, um, and we starting this summer, we're working on some great, um, um adaptive reuse of the bakery. It's about 70,000 square feet. And, um, our, uh, Mallory and Evans team, um, is anxious. They're signing leases right now. And it's been really, it's going to be a great project. It's going to be a great benefit to the our residents who are living with us at, uh, at the, um, in the apartment community, but it's going to be a, a real exciting thing for the whole South side of Knoxville. They're, they're looking forward to, they all, everybody knows where Kern's Bakery is. And it's a it, it's an institution there. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, make the area proud with the things that we're, that we're able to bring to the, to that bakery.
0: Well, it sounds like a really cool project. I love the uh, shared economy aspect of the, co-living, you, know, you have the combination of affordability uh, for the tenants, uh, increased NOI uh, for you as a as a developer and investor. Um, so it sounds like a good match. And then you guys, from having the experience of doing student housing, uh, you know how to handle it and, and manage it. Uh, so it sounds great. Rick, uh, thanks for joining us, sir. Great information. Thanks for being on the show.
2: Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Take care. And thank you for joining us around the country. Uh, let us know what you think about student housing and the future of it and what you think about co-living. Uh, you're welcome to contact us through our social media or reach out to us at CREshow.com. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Vista Property Reports. Use smartphone location technology for commercial real estate due diligence. Visit VistaPropertyReport.com slash show. Core.green. Use Ion technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREShow.com.